0: And we're open today until the end of the day, Friday, May 3rd. All right, y'all, here's that episode you're waiting for. Hey there. If you listened to part one of this two-part podcast episode last week, you already know that I made a super last minute decision to pause recording new podcast episodes during the month of July. I had a moment where I realized I really just needed to pause and rest especially after last month's attachment series. So I reached out to a few podcasts where I'd been a guest and asked if I could publish the interview I did on their podcast on my podcast. And that's what you're going to get to hear today. Karen Buckwalter and her team over at the Attachment Theory in Action podcast graciously agreed, and today you're going to hear part two of a two-part interview that I did with Karen earlier this year, where we explored how I use relational neurosciences as the foundation for everything I do at work, on this podcast, in the club, and in my personal life with my friends and family. I'm Robin Goble, and welcome to the Parenting After Trauma podcast, where I take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human, and translate that for parents of kids who've experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who have experienced trauma and their families. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. Do you guys hear the roosters? I don't know if you're going to catch them on the recorder recording, but the roosters are uh, really cock right now. Okay. Uh, what I was saying is that I'm a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and even teach the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a certificate program. I started this podcast on a whim with the intention to get free accessible support to you as fast as possible. So the podcast isn't fancy and I do very little editing You'll even hear a cockoodle doo in the background, which you probably already have and may even be hearing it currently. If you love this episode, add parenting after trauma to your favorite podcast player and share with your friends and colleagues. You're definitely gonna wanna head over to my website and get the free ebook. I've created all about the brilliance of attachment. I took everything from a six-part series and had it professionally laid out into this free ebook. Watching the series go from words that I wrote into what feels like a work of art was surprisingly lovely. I hope you'll love it. RobinGobel.com slash ebook. While you're on my website, you're definitely going to want to check out The Club, a virtual community of connection, co-regulation, and of course, a little education for parents of kids impacted by trauma. Earlier this month, I released a brand new feature in The Club. All of The Club content, masterclasses, Q&As, guest presenters, everything that happens in The Club on live video now has the audio uploaded into a private podcast just for Club members. So Club members, Get to listen to everything that happens in the club on a podcast app, just like you're listening to this podcast right now. This has been a huge hit. The club opens for new members approximately every three months, and we'll be opening our doors and welcoming new members again in the fall of 2021. If you head over to RobinGobel.com slash the club, you'll be able to add yourself to the waiting list. In addition to the ebook I already mentioned, and of course this podcast, I have so many free resources for you on my website, including a free video series on what behavior really is and how to change it. I'll put the links to all these resources down in the show notes. All righty, so I hope you enjoy this flip flopped podcast where I'm interviewed by Karen Buckwalter from the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. And remember, this is part two of two. So if you missed part one that I released last week, you're going to want to go check that out. You might want to do it first, or you could probably just do it after. And then of course, when you're finished listening to both parts, the next thing you'll want to do is add the attachment theory in action to your podcast player, because Karen has had some amazing guests, guests like Dan Siegel, Tina Payne Bryson. All right, y'all, here we go.
1: Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. This is part two with Robin Goebel, and I am so excited to continue this conversation, Robin. Me too. We're having a blast. Yes, we are. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we ended last week, you know, we were beginning to talk about um, neuroception and no. how we're, we're constantly scanning um, for safety, for connection. And you were talking about this like big shift in your mind about this, but also this like puzzlement, like, okay, why would you be behaving this way if you really <laughs> have connection? Right. And I wanted, before we get into that, I wanted to share something um, of my own experience of this big shift that I had um, about the idea of hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. And so this was a term that, you know, we would talk about, you know, you know, a lot with traumatized kids and they're constantly scanning their environment and they're looking for safety and basically their back brain's hijacking their cortex because they have to do that all the time and scanning, scanning, scanning. Is it safe? Is it safe? Is it safe? And I think what Porges theory did for me was like, wait, 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 that's not just traumatized people. That's like everybody, like all the time scanning, like I'm scanning, you're scanning, like people with less trauma are scanning. And I remember too, you know, like you said, you have these aha moments as you, as you learn more. And I I just remember thinking how, just how normalizing that is, you know, and that it's, it's a continuum. Um, and it's something we're all doing to various degrees, not anyway minimizing um, no. the trauma people have experienced. Yeah. But that was just like a really big shift for me. Right, you're it, it, it's not just the severely traumatized person is hyper right. you know, and only scanning. So, so anyway, I just yeah, wanted right. wanted to share that. Um, and as we move into thinking about you know, how this shows up in the therapy room right. um,
0: and, you know, what we do about it and how it shows up in ourselves. Right. Well, let's just go with hypervigilance since we're talking about it. So you're absolutely right. And people are always, I always get that question when I teach neuroception, at least four times every second, the brain is scanning for danger. People are always like, like, is that everybody? or just the traumatized right? Like, no, that's everybody. Right. And four times every second. I mean, Corgis has gone on to say, constantly as opposed to 4 times every second but i think 4 times every second is a more impressive thing to say like there's this idea about every quarter of a second that feels wow as opposed to constantly yeah i don't know so um so yeah that's not hypervigilance, that's the way our nervous system is designed to work what then we feel as hypervigilance is when that four times every second is happening and the and the child's brain, in the individual's brain, but we're talking specifically about children, is already at a heightened level of arousal and expecting something dangerous to happen next. Yes, that that's where we get these behaviors people would maybe call as hypervigilance and the you know the way that eyes are moving and the way that there's there's really already some energy in the arms and the legs and it's hard to focus because they're pulling in all this information from the outside world in this more specific way. Well, what we what poor just has has helped us understand is like that body and the brain is in the nervous system is taking these shifts very intentionally to be able to pull in different kinds of noises and different sounds. And, you know, these, uh, these pieces that signal danger, right? So now I can look at a behavior like hypervigilance and go, well, not only does that make perfect sense, but that also tells me a little bit about where this person is and their level of arousal. Like what state are they in in their nervous system? Mm -hmm. And when I understand that, then some of the other behaviors make more sense because that's a behavior of somebody who believes they're in danger. Right, people who are in danger are controlling, are mm-hmm. sometimes manipulative, are mm-hmm. more prone to verbal and physical aggression. I know I am. Yes. Yeah. And so,
1: so it's almost like we have to think we have two things going on here. This, this scanning and searching for safety and all of that is a biological imperative. Yep. That, you know, we're all doing, we can even go Back to attachment theory and the attachment system activated by fear and danger and needing to proximity to safety, all of that. Um, But yet, we're also needing to consider like level of arousal when Mm a person is doing that. Yes, where that helps to explain these behaviors. Would that is that a good way of putting that all together? Yes.
0: Yeah. So for me, I can take it out of any sort of like personalization and Mm -hmm. look at like, oh, this is a sympathetically aroused nervous system that is neuroceiving a certain level of threat or danger. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now that's not personal. Now that's not about me. Now that's not about their character. Mm -hmm. Now that's not, you know, I can pull it out of all of those pejorative things Mm -hmm. and, think about it from a sense of first of all it helps it helps it make sense when we understand the biological underpinnings of it and that brings everybody regulation usually Mm -hmm. um the people involved and then i feel like that helps me know what to do next Yes. Right, that. That's what we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't necessarily. I don't walk into working with a kid trying to decrease their level of arousal necessarily. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to shift their experience of safety so that their sympathetically aroused nervous system that's showing maybe us this behavior of hypervigilance or controlling behavior or manipulation or whatever. I want to see if I can offer to the best of my ability, knowing that there's a lot of things I can't control cues of safety Mm -hmm. and inviting their system into connection and safety Mm -hmm. because when we're experiencing connection and safety we're not manipulative we're not controlling we're not defensive you know so these behaviors we're trying to help decrease they shift naturally when the nervous system is experiencing cues of safety from the environment and from their internal world
1: right right and so as i'm thinking about this and i I don't even know how to phrase this, mm-hmm. but um, I'm thinking of this idea of rad kids and kids with rad and um, you and I both have lots of problems with that diagnosis <laughs> and that label, which we've both written about, so right. I know that we'll go <laughs> into that here, yeah. but it, it's a whenever I hear that, I hear it in a pejorative way. Yeah. Like that particular just awful unhelpful diagnosis and yeah. well. um, it's like you know th- this is when it's like the most horrible terrible worst of the worst behaviors right. um, you know early on being considered sociopathic these right. little people um, right. so like w- what I love what you're talking about in terms of n- It's just all, not just, because it's, as you said, it's, it's problematic, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's a reaction of the nervous system. It's not some sort of manipulative, evil, like bad
0: seed core or something. It's not a character trait. Oh, I love that. It's a very reasonable response to what's happening in their brain based on like the way we experience every unfolding moment is that for example in this moment like all the sensory data that's happening in this exact moment in my life is all coming into my brain and it mixes with 40 years of experiences right and it The mixing of those two pieces together is what creates my subjective experience of reality and therefore creates like how I'm reacting in each unfolding moment. Right. When I have unmetabolized emotion, (laughs) the past floods the present. And so even if I am, you know, in a place that other people would call safe, Yes. Because of the way my brain and the unmetabolized emotion is creating my reality. My experience is that I'm not safe. Right. And it's very reasonable for somebody who's not safe, especially relationally not safe. We're not just like talking about running from a burning fire, you know, like a house fire or something, but like relationally unsafe. It's very reasonable to use behavior strategies like manipulation, control, verbal aggression, physical aggression, opposition to fines like they make perfect sense if we remember that ultimately we're just trying to stay alive right now again just like you said just because they make perfect sense doesn't mean that we're just okay with them (laughs) they're not you know long they're leaving the person stuck in a place of believing everything is unsafe right that's a terrible way to exist in the world.
1: Right. So Robin, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about the brain, about the nervous system, um, you know, getting more into how does that show up in therapy? How does that show up in the playroom? But if a child, you know, is living in a fear state, let's just say, talk to us a bit about what that is like for a child.
0: I wanted to pause the episode real quick and read you this testimonial from one club member. This person writes in, The club has been life-changing for me. For me, feeling alone in the stress and the overwhelm of parenting a child with complex trauma has been traumatic here in the club we are finding healing for ourselves by feeling seen and heard and validated even though we may have come here for our children's healing. Oh, y'all, that is exactly what I'm trying to do in the club to create a space that's for you that also brings healing to your kids. So the club's open for new members until April 28th. We'd love to have you robingoble.com slash the club. All right, let's get back to the episode. The way of being in the world where you have this felt sense that everything is unsafe, everything is dangerous, is it really helps me to stay connected as much as possible to the truth of what, what a terrible tragedy it is to be constantly living in that space, mm-hmm. regardless of whether it seems accurate to me or not, right? like regardless of whether I can look at a situation and, and say, this situation isn't dangerous. It's so clear the way this child is responding, that their nervous system is experiencing an overwhelming, intense experience of of life-threatening danger. Mm -hmm. It can feel frustrating to me. It can even feel personal to me sometimes. Like, hey, I'm not the one making you feel dangerous. And I know this feels so personal to parents at times, which is very normal, very human reaction of course, and I have great compassion for that as well. Um, But it seems vital to me as a therapist to honor that that's my experience, honor that that's the parent's experience, have a lot of compassion for how hard that is, and then shift back into remembering how tragic it is to be trapped in a nervous system of experiencing everything in life as dangerous how exhausting it is how it perpetuates itself and how it's stealing from people this what feels like this basic human right of felt safety and then the opportunity for connection and relationship
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm reminded as you're talking um something that um, some listeners may be familiar with, and I'm certain you are, is um, the Circle of Security shark music video, you know, yes. where you're yeah. showing a certain scene that, you know, with with calming music that looks, you know, very serene and nice, and how that same exact scene that same path that same you know trail when they're playing that music from Jaws it's like you feel like something's gonna leap out behind you know that's what you know when I show that to an audience um they'll say I feel like something's gonna jump out at me and I think about that you know one image that often comes to my mind is um kids walking through a hallway at school and Mm -hmm. you know uh thinking that you know it's just Class is changing. I mean, yeah. no big deal. But when you think right. about shark music, and I will add, I know that that video, video was originally made about parents hearing shark music, but yeah. I do think it's also really um, illustrates the point that you're making. Like, what is it like yeah. to walk through the world in that level of fear? Yeah.
0: yeah. And it's terribly, terribly sad. Like, the feeling that comes up for me is just this intense sadness of what then that person is missing out on mm-hmm. it's that sadness that that then again kind of helps shift me out of normal human feelings of frustration or annoyance or like come on nothing's unsafe here um which again very 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 normal human reaction yes yes It's, um, but it's not helpful in the moment when we're thinking about trying to help, you know, shift this child experience with safety.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, um, and we may have used this word earlier in the podcast, but this idea of presence in Mm. the therapy room and, um, being able to manage your own emotions that come up in the face of a child or a parent reacting to you that way, you know, what are, let's look at our own uh, nervous system and brain for a minute. You know, what do you have to say about that?
0: I have to say that I think it is the most important thing that we can spend time working on as therapists, that we spend a lot of time, rightfully so gathering the latest tools and the latest techniques and all of the really cool things that are emerging from people's brilliantly creative minds about, you know, what to do in the therapy room. And I have so much respect for that. And it's there, we need tools in our toolbox and we, um, I think the most important thing for us to really study and pay attention to and give a lot of time and energy to is using ourselves as the kind of quote unquote or proverbial tool that felt safety and experiences of safety is the most important thing that's offered in the therapeutic experience. And there's a lot of things that play into a creation of felt safety and a client's ability to receive felt safety. But the number one thing is the state of our own nervous system, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: offering safety through our own embodied presence and being able to stay in a state of curiosity and compassion and willingness to follow the client wherever they're, you know, wanting to bring us and completely honoring their experience of reality, regardless of whether that's our experience or not, and managing our own implicit worlds, our own unconscious things that we're bringing into the therapy room and working hard to come into awareness and contact of of what those things are and doing that work then allows us to show up with a level of presence that is the presence we're talking about when we say you know our presence is the most important thing or the relationship's the most important thing in therapy Which I 1 million percent agree, but I also think that it can be misinterpreted by very well-meaning therapists that all I have to do is like literally physically show up. Yes, you do have to literally physically show up, but that's not what... That's the
1: the bare minimum of what you have to do.
0: (laughs) Right. That's
1: yes. The <laughs> exactly. <or> un- unfortunately.
0: <laughs> exactly. And cultivating that level of presence, especially when you work with the clients that you and I work with, right? The level of intensity and overwhelm that exists in the therapy room. Cultivating that level of presence is a huge goal. Huge requires a ton of time, a ton of energy, a ton of you know real deliberate, thoughtful care and attention. Hmm
1: yeah and it can mean being in our own therapy it can Mm -hmm. mean needing to find rituals that prepare us to enter into the therapy room Mm -hmm. I personally think it definitely means seeing your sessions on video Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's difficult to know what's going on unconsciously without seeing it without being able to step back outside so you know I've had videos where I'm like whoa I really (laughs) had that expression on my face whoa exactly I really did that with that tone like that's not something I would have reported to the supervisor you know and it wasn't it's not that I wouldn't have reported it because I was ashamed of it oh it could could be that I mean but a lot of times, it, I wouldn't have brought it up in supervision because it's unconscious and I didn't know I was doing it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It is so vulnerable and terrifying to watch yourself on video, but I completely agree with you that, you know, being brave enough to notice all of the nonverbal cues that we're giving our clients is so- Very important.
1: Yeah, because generally, uh, and I don't want to go too far off on this because it is a little soapbox of mine. So, so you know, there's a risk of it. But generally, what not generally, what you're bringing up with your supervisor or someone you consult with is what's in your conscious mind. Like that's really all you can bring up.
0: (laughs) Exactly.
1: So you know, we could be missing this whole this whole other piece and. And I want to say too, um, and this is where I also have empathy for caregivers because I, I yes. do, you know, I work with a lot of parents who're like, I re- I've read the books and I've, yeah. been to the con, I, I've gone to Empowered to Connect and I've, right. you know, I've done all of these things, and because yeah. I also use video intervention therapy and treatment, and mm-hmm. because I do in-home work, but you could also see us in a therapy session in an out, in an outpatient mm-hmm. setting. Parents are often, and I own this as a therapist too, but they're often not doing what they think they're doing. Right. Right. Yeah. So, all of us, so, like said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're trained in certain models and how you're supposed to do things. And what we're talking about here is you might think you're doing that, but you know, really you're not.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. I love using video with parents too. Like I love the, I love showing them all the things they're doing so well. Yes. Because there's so many. Yes. And the same is true for us, right? Like we watch a video true. and oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. i I like that part. And I think that's so important for parents. Like, look at all these amazing things. Yes. And also allowing them to discover moments where they can see how their childs experience them in a way that they weren't maybe intending. Yes. Yes. Yeah exactly I agree. exactly mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. so let's you know I always think that um having a little bit of some kind of a case example in a discussion like this you know really makes it real I think you know some of what we're talking about here makes it real right mm-hmm. now in this segment but I think you know sometimes we can get so caught up in all this brain science and polyvagal theory and what does say, you know all of, so like Maybe share a case example from, or, or, you know, a compilation, um, to uh, obviously you would to, to protect, protect confidentiality, but like a kid that's really in a fear state and how you might have to handle that in the, in the therapy room.
0: Yeah. The, the first, truly the first thing that comes to mind when I think about, you know, a specific situation that comes to mind is how I work so hard to have enough regulation to have a a moment of my own pause where I can go like, okay, what's happening for me right now? Yes, (laughs) exactly. Out of control. Yes. And, and then, you know, when I think when you work with kids, there's this extra layer of intense vulnerability of like, their parents are watching yes <laughs> hearing it from the waiting room or whatever 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 and so there's all these other things that like flood us as therapists right. and, and assuming we're not in a crisis state where I have to um intervene in a way that provides safety right I mean, we've not escalated to that which does occasionally happen I work really hard to call a moment of pause in myself and that's IPNB driven. That isn't exactly a technique, but it's a technique all at the same time of like, okay, notice everything that's happening for me. Like uh, all the, I have to show the parent that I know how to handle this or I have to be a good therapist and get this under control right away, or I can't let this happen in my therapy room. Good therapists don't let this kind of stuff happen in their therapy room or whatever it is. And just be like, "Mm, Nope, all of that's for later because none of those thoughts have anything to do with uh, this child's experience with me in the here and now. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm perfect at this by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, we're, you know, we're aiming for good enough here. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. So then I try to put on this lens of what is this child doing? Because I believe everything is an attempt to move towards regulation. Yes. Everything is an everything has purpose. Everything is an attempt at finding coherence in organization. Oftentimes, though, when those attempts are you know, connected with the neurobiology of disorganization and complex trauma and all that kind of stuff. Those attempts are these like almost futile attempts that are trying to find regulation organization, but not super successfully. So I try to look at like, what is this child doing? What's their body doing? Is this child throwing things? Is this child screaming? Is this child you know, running? Are their legs moving? Are their arms moving? Are they, you know, what's, is their body moving up and down? You know, I really try to look at what is literally happening and is there a way I can connect with this child using that energy, using that movement, but also using my regulation that could bring that energy and that movement into some Mm co-organization. Can I... Blow bubbles that get a child to maybe blow the bubble back at me or want to blow the bubbles themselves. Or can I toss a balloon towards them? That almost always they're going to engage in their own experience with the balloon. Like maybe they start tossing the balloon sort of back and forth themselves, or they toss it to me. And then now I've got energy. There's still a lot of energy in the room, but it's starting to bring in some rhythm. It's starting to bring in some connection. It's starting to bring in some co-organization while staying in this heightened, heightened aroused state. Mm-hmm. So I can think of kids, you know, as kids, like, come barely, you know, the child that just, like, no matter what you do to create structure and organization when you greet them in the, in the waiting room, mm-hmm. just, like, blow past you anyway, and they're in your office before you can even get there. Yes, yes. And there's, you know, and so I can picture this and think about um, how I would, you know, I would... Run after them, but not with the energy to catch them, with the energy to join them, to experience them. And so while my feet are moving in the same way, sort of regardless, there's a very different energetic experience right there isn't this frantic oh I need to catch you there's this all right here we are you're running I will join you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'm going to look for a game or an experience that attempts to engage the legs that Mm -hmm. attempts to use that level of energy and Mm -hmm. once we're connected up then I may attempt to sort of shift and down regulate. It's going to depend on mm-hmm. exactly what's happening in the moment. What my treatment goals are.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and as a theraplay therapist and trainer, of course, you know yes. I'm running all of this through that framework and um, thinking about um, this. This is, and not just theraplay. This is the art of all therapy yeah. that you know, whether you're a therapy therapist and you had your session planned and then the kids really distract you, like that goes, that all goes out the window. Um, and now here's the art yes. of, of therapy. Yes. Um, and, or even if, if you're, if you you do some other form of play therapy, if you do child centered or something like that, and we talked it earlier in the podcast about um, if it's still in there, since I know we had a little <laughs> a little snafu, um, but you know training that you end the search the session when a kid gets really dysregulated, and I say no, that's when. That's when it all starts, you know. Exactly, I mean, uh, and you know that that's where we have to bring to bear ourselves and um, our own regulation, and and this is where when people think it's about you know. Therapy activities. It's not about therapy activities. Like no. they're just a means. They're just yep. a tool we bring in. Just as whatever kind of therapy you do, you bring these tools or techniques in. But yep, without yep. this that we're talking about, which is way yeah. harder. Way <laughs> harder. Like yes. I really, yeah. uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, if it was about tools and techniques, I'd be like set.
0: You know. Yeah. <laughs> I know we are good students. We work hard. We master things. We are A plus people. Karen, me and you. <laughs> Sometimes I just am like almost in hysteria over how I can. I'm I am an A plus person. You give me a task and I will finish it. And I managed to land myself in a career where that is not possible. I know. <laughs> no. I know. Let me do this right enough, right? Yes, yes, Yes. Yes. yeah.
1: It's it's true, you know. Um, So, yeah, so... All right. So Robin, another thing yes. that I know you're fond of saying, since I, you know, follow, follow, you know, read, read your stuff and, you know, read your comments and groups we lurk in and, yes. uh, <laughs> or participate in. Uh-huh. Um, so um, this idea that all parts are welcome. And I think that's just such a beautiful phrase. And I would like you to share what you mean by that in terms of In the therapy room, all parts are welcome of, like, who, who, the child, the parent, you, like, just tell us what, what you mean by that.
0: So you may have heard that the club is open today for just a few days for new members. And I wanted to share with you what this club member said about her time in the club. This member says, I was way more successful handling a stressful situation than I would have been a year ago. And it is truly a result of the material I've learned through Robin and the club. Oh my gosh, y'all. I love, love, love hearing that. There's no way that we can promise that the stress from your kids is going to change because we're just not in control of anybody else but ourselves. But what we can do is work to change how we respond to those stressors. And that's what we do over in the club. We are open for new members from now until the 28th of April, and we would love to have you. When you gave the example of how some therapists are trained to end sessions when things go a certain way, that's the first thought that came into my mind just those you know 30 seconds ago is, how am I communicating to a client, all parts of you are welcome here? If the moment they bring me their most hurting, most vulnerable, most protected parts of self, but usually are expressed in a way that's hard, right? If the moment those parts of self show up in the therapy room and I say, oh, you know, we're going to have to end our session for today. I, I don't know how we also invite all parts into the room. Mm-hmm. How can all parts come if this, the moment a certain part shows up or if the moment a certain part shows up, heart shows up and we put a boundary on it and we put a boundary on it a second time and a third time and then the third's the magic number and so now the session's over for the day i i feel the same way you do like no those those are the exact moments we need to be in the therapy room
1: right because if that worked for this child they wouldn't be there in absolutely. our office, <laughs> like,
0: absolutely. I'm sure somebody
1: tried several warnings, and, <laughs> and then you, you know, something happens. You know,
0: I can, I absolutely. I mean, I would say the exact same thing. Like, if that was going to work, you, you wouldn't even they wouldn't even be there. And I also kind of put that through my adult lens and think about like, what if that happened in my own therapy? Right. I had a therapy like, mm, sorry, we're going to end for today. Oh, you know, so when I say all parts are welcome, I, there's so much in that. I, I, I think that may be a phrase that's used in like the internal family systems model, which I want to be clear, like, I'm not, I'm not trained in that. I've done my parts work training with my work with Bonnie Bandnock and her inner communities model, which has some definite similarities to internal family systems, Um and implicit in all parts are welcome are this belief is this belief that no behavior is maladaptive. Every single thing that you do makes perfect sense for how you're experiencing the world in this exact moment. Mm-hmm. And a way that I convey that to the client is by welcoming in all all parts of them all all behaviors. Ex- although while we're still acknowledging that I get to have my own boundaries too. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely behaviors that aren't acceptable. It's not okay for me to get kicked. Right. It's not okay for me to get spit on. But the part of you that holds that level of terror, where kicking and spitting emerge, that part of you... Gets to come into the therapy room and we're going to figure out another way for that part of you to express that part self without anybody also getting hurt.
1: Beautiful.
0: Um, That's so beautiful, Robin. It's not, I mean, I wouldn't say I do that perfectly by any stretch of the imagination by any stretch, but it is always my goal. And I believe my clients know that that's my goal. Um, somewhat because I'm very explicit at times and being clear about all parts of you get to come here and I remember this amazingly precious child who would scream, "I hate you! You're the worst therapist! I wish you would die!" Really hard, hard things that are hard to regulate through. <laughs> Sometimes being yes. them at you, mm-hmm. and at the end of every every time we would part i find a way to communicate to this little one. Those parts of you get to come here too. Because there's a lot of shame that would come yes. up around yes. those parts. A um, lot of shame that would come up around having behaved that way. Yes. That. Those parts get to come here too. And me and you, we're going to figure this out. I want you to bring those parts here. I'm going to do what I have to do to be able to tolerate being screened at that somebody wished I was dead. hmm that work to tolerate that so that you can bring those parts here and we're going to figure this out together because the experience that's underneath screaming at somebody that you adore and I know that this child adored me that you wish they were dead the the terror and the agony and the despair that's underneath that is tragic and it's my job to find a space of holding Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. yeah i'm thinking about you know earlier when we were talking about um working with really dysregulated kids and you know how that you know one of the things that's different um than even dysregulated adults in general is the you know they just based on their own history, based on their development, whatever, there aren't filters in the same way. So they can call you ugly, nasty, whatever, you know, um, and um, it's easy to become triggered by that. I know from my interview with Bonnie Badnock,
0: she prefers touched and awakened rather than triggered. Touched and awakened. (laughs) I have touched and awakened when a child tells me how bad I smell. Yes.
1: Or how fat you are. Or how yes. <laughs> your breath is so bad. Or, yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. So Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah, but really that, that what you're talking about is just, it's just really, really beautiful and being able to, um, regulate ourselves and and having okay so let's leap to how about all parts of us being welcome like that's exactly
0: what i was thinking too yes yes so let's go there for a minute (laughs) i have to welcome my parts that are touched and awakened when a client of any age but you're right the 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 younger ones (laughs) significantly less i'm not sure i've ever had an adult client tell me how bad i smelled (laughs) (laughs) Us or these things, they might be thinking them, but they don't say them all (laughs) up. The children are happy to say anything. Right. You know? And so having, um, you know, a commitment to all parts are welcome, my client absolutely means I have to commit to that truth about myself too. That when I notice myself, touched and awakened. I'm with those parts of myself in a caring and compassionate way. Right. And it might be, I notice you. I notice you're here, lovely part of self. And I will tend to you later Mm -hmm. when I'm tending to this precious little one who's with me right now, right? This Mm -hmm. human who's with me that I need to tend to. And coming back without shame of all the ways we're touched and awakened in. In and out of the therapy room, Mm -hmm. all of my own experiences and my past have created everything about me and all these unfolding moments. And sometimes that means things and parts of self that I don't necessarily feel like super proud of, or I can feel very confused by or, you know, and to shift into, okay, well, those parts get to come here. And by here, I mean like in my own heart, in my own being, in my own way of being with myself. Mm -hmm. And when I do that work, when I get touched and awakened in a therapy room, it's way easier to notice it, notice without judgment, decide I'll come back to it later, return back to being with my client in the way that I really want to be with them, which is also in that all parts are welcome here. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I think that, um, you know, as we're, as we're winding down here, you know, this may be one of the really most important key ideas here, um, is all parts welcome and self. And, you know, there, there is that cliche in therapy, um, you can't take your clients where you yourself can't go. And, um, it's true, you know? And, and I think just part of my own journey is if I can't accept less than perfection in myself, if I can't accept all of these things that, right. that I work on in myself, how You know, can we really bring that level of acceptance to the kids? I mean, mean, if they're doing something that you could never, ever accept in yourself.
0: Right. Right? That's where this gets hard. (laughs) Yeah. And accepting something in yourself doesn't mean... Um, you're just okay with it always. You're, embra-
1: you're embracing it. Exactly. You're loving yeah. it. You're fine with it coming out anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Accepting it in yourself is going, I, under- I understand even if I don't understand, but I believe that that part makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And hold something that makes perfect sense. And I'm going to have k- compassion towards that self while also still acknowledging that there's times where that is a behavior maybe that's hurtful towards myself or hurtful for others and I want to keep working on it right right, right. I like what you just said acceptance and you know doesn't mean embracing right 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 whatever yeah yeah so
1: oh uh, Robin this has been such um, a great conversation with you I'm so Grateful that you were willing to come on the attachment theory and action podcast again. Well, goodbye for now. And again, always so wonderful to talk with you.
0: Thank you, Karen. It was just so fun. Well, that was fun as always. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to connect with me today and for caring for kids impacted by trauma. I am so, so, so grateful for you. Keep coming back and keep doing amazing work out there in the world. Please take a moment to share this podcast with your colleagues, friends, grandparents, teachers, everyone. The sooner the whole world understands the neurobiology of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human, the sooner our kids will live in a world that sees them for who they really are. Completely amazing, sometimes, maybe a lot of the time, struggling. Thanks for tuning in today. I'll see you next time. Are you ending this episode with maybe so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash with. read all about it, and if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too.